on. I'm on three seats. <laughs> Look, there goes the game. You're listening to it, Canal. WYCB's weekly news program focus on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Vedanta Kari, and thanks for joining us. Tonight, we hear about Thanksgiving safety. This Thanksgiving, it's just the immediate family. How TCAT adapted. You can, you can take it through the, all the buses. So we started that cleaning process, a very extensive cleaning process. Hear what financial relief is available during COVID. We really do stand with the rest of the nonprofits that exist here. But up first, let's hear what's going on in the Ithaca area with our community beats. Local efforts are being made to bring COVID-19 testing to the homeless and unstably housed. Reach Medical, a local practice in Tompkins County, is mobilizing to provide these resources. The initiative is being funded by a donation from the Kresge Foundation, a private foundation sourced in Michigan. The Tompkins County Health Department received $40,000 from the foundation earlier this month to assist COVID-19 response efforts. Developers recently pitched an extension to College Town that would provide 360 more jobs and take the financial burden off of the school system. Certain members of the Ithaca Planning and Economic Development Committee are concerned about the lack of an assurance of the job positions being filled. Grandma Tech employee Duskin Nyonyan spoke on his apprehension towards the project, saying, quote, This long-standing rumor was that this project would bring major tech jobs to Ithaca. This looks like nearly two Herald Squares worth of generic office space. Catherine Wolf, principal at Trowbridge Wolf Michaels Landscape Architects, disagreed, saying, quote, This density of employment is what allows you to achieve that vi- vision making existing businesses stronger and new commercial activity viable because of the injection of job creation. Ithaca College will still be welcoming students back to campus for the spring semester. In a town hall held Thursday night via Zoom, Ithaca College administrators discussed the latest on their reopening plan and said they will continue preparing for students to live on campus next semester. This is announced amid a rise in COVID-19 cases in Tompkins County, and nationwide. Ren's Mart, an Asian grocery store, opened at the start of November, limiting the number of customers in at one time, but maintaining a steady amount of customers. Rocky and Anara Ren are a father-daughter duo who have taken charge of their fourth grocery store in upstate New York. The pair also plans to add new elements like a deli and a bakery section that they were not able to create initially since they had a soft opening. The Wrens spoke on their message saying, quote, For all of our grocery stores, we strive to serve as many Asian communities as possible. We're just trying to be as all-encompassing as possible. EBT and SNAP benefits will be allowed, but not until the end of the month when they get the application approved. It has been decided that Cornell University police will not be disarmed. 
A three-hour student assembly meeting this past Thursday touched on topics of sexism, white supremacy, and Cornell University Police Department's use of weapons. This discussion was a continuation of conversations on Cornell police reform from the week prior, after which a number of assembly members wrote a disarmament counter-resolution. With the Ithaca City School District learning virtually, students will be receiving a week worth of meals starting in December. As part of a new initiative, the district will deliver meals in order to alleviate the financial burden families have been faced with due to COVID-19. District Superintendent Dr. Louisville Brown spoke on its decision saying, quote, In anticipation of the cold weather approaching, we wanted a more convenient way for families to receive food, especially those who have transportation limits. The order form for the delivery service is due this Friday, and the form can be found on the Ithaca City School District's webpage. For Nyjah Young, I'm Beck Legato, WICB News. Despite the pandemic, many people are still looking to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday and go shopping on Black Friday. Correspondent Emma Kirsting reached out to some people to hear what some people's different plans are. This Thanksgiving weekend is looking a little different due to the ongoing pandemic. With desire to see family and safety in question, it seems everyone has to find different plans to figure out how to celebrate or shop while being conscious of the pandemic. Here's how a few people are changing their plans this year. This Thanksgiving, it's just the immediate family. Uh, Usually we have cousins and uncles over and it's a big celebration, but we're doing it nice and small this year and being thankful for what we have and how everybody's healthy and doing well. I go to a performing arts college in New York City. They're really strongly recommending that no one leave or go home for Thanksgiving just because we're already in such a hot spot and we're really trying to make sure we don't get a lot of cases. The school is providing us with free Thanksgiving meals on Thursday and Friday from the meal plan and from another food provider. And I know a lot of people are planning on ordering out or going to a close restaurant or eating stuff in Central Park and having like a picnic but it's all very contained and it's all very safe. Make sure this holiday season you're staying safe by following CDC guidelines as follows. Limit the number of attendees as much as possible to allow people from different households to remain at least six feet apart at all times. Guests should avoid direct contact, including handshakes and hugs, with others not from their household. Host outdoor rather than indoor gatherings as much as possible. Even outdoors, require guests to wear masks when not eating or drinking. Avoid holding gatherings in crowded, poorly ventilated spaces with people who are not in your household. Ithaca residents are recommended to avoid non-essential travel and gatherings and follow state rules, including no gatherings over 10. County legislator Martha Robertson says the guidelines are simple. Maintain physical distance, refrain from large gatherings, and wear a mask. For WICB News, I'm Emma Kirsting. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Vedanta Kari. Whether it be students or residents, the TCAT bus system has and continues to help people get where they're going in the pandemic. Like many other businesses, it's had to make changes. Correspondent Erica Liberati caught up with TCAT's general manager, 
to hear more about what's going on behind the scenes. One of the hardest hit industries during the COVID-19 pandemic is the transportation industry. While people stayed at home, seats on buses, planes, and trains were left vacant, including some here in Tompkins County on the Tompkins Consolidated Area Transit, also known as TCAT. We saw a trend, a change in culture. Um, the pandemic has forced employers, and, I, and I've been through a lot of task force and talked to a lot of people across New York State about this. Um, the, the pandemic has forced employers to actually try working, try to have their employees work from home. And it's something that I believe has been successful. That was TCAT General Manager Scott Vanderpool. He said that while ridership did decrease, they were still seeing riders. We're not taking a lot of people to work. We're taking more people to shopping, to essential services like doctor's appointments, um, hospital visits, pharmacies, and a lot of shopping trips we noticed. So our actually our peak period kind of shifted. It used to be, you know, 6.30 or 7 o'clock to 8.30 in the morning. Now it's closer to 9 o'clock or 9.30 to 10 o'clock. But their mission never changed, getting riders to and from their destination safely. As soon as the pandemic forced mass shutdowns, Vanderpool said TCAT went to work installing safety measures. We immediately got ahead of the curve and went out and bought electromagnetic sprayers, which are disinfectant spray. It's like some, it's a machine you put on your backpack and you can, you can take it throughout all the buses. So we started that cleaning process, a very extensive cleaning process of spraying our buses down and then, and then disinfecting and wiping them down at night, every night. They added hand sanitizers on all of the buses and eliminated fares for riding to reduce contact between the drivers and passengers. If you get on our bus now, you'll notice that the drivers behind, there's a, uh, a barrier there that the driver can, obviously can see through it, but um, we, we wanted to make sure that there was that protection in place before we started collecting fares. So we did that. We went on and purchased barriers. The fares have since been reintroduced and ridership has remained steady. Vanderpool said they're holding out hope for a vaccine to get back to where they were. So many unknowns, it's really hard to predict anything, you know. Um, I'm just crossing my fingers with the vaccine. We did a survey and a lot of people are still uncomfortable with the safety issue of riding on a bus. You know, it's the bus is 12 feet wide. There's not a lot of room, you know, to maneuver in a bus. When you're walking down the aisle, you're passing people. So um, we feel like it's not that much different than walking down the aisle of a grocery store in a lot of ways. But, um, but people are still uncomfortable about, you know, riding a bus because they, they, they believe that, that they're going to, you're going to get the, the, uh, the COVID. Vanderpool said TCAT is lucky, though. Unlike many other businesses, TCAT didn't face many financial hardships and has stayed afloat during these challenging times. But we have not laid off anybody. Um, we have been lucky because of the CARE Stimulus Act. We uh, qualified for and um, got payroll protection, payroll protection plan, um, which was... Um, a good chunk of money for us to try to help us get through. I'm really proud of our drivers. Um, you know, they were out there. I, I didn't know what would happen with the drivers. I, I didn't know if some people would decide to, to pack it up or to, um, you know, um, I don't know, just 
not not work for a period of time, but you know, a large majority of our drivers stuck with it. Through it all, TCAT has put the safety of their riders and drivers as their number one priority. And Vanderpool said they're excited for the future. It's a good sign. People are starting to, to get a little bit adjusted or maybe a little used to, um, how to how to deal with this or maybe getting the safety message that we're putting out. But we're just going to have to continue our hard work um, promoting what we do how important it is for the community and the safety measures that are in place. And I, I don't know what else we can do and, and just hope for the best. For WICB News, I'm Erica Liberati. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Vedanta Kari. WICB correspondent Antonio Fermi is continuing his series to examine the financial and other struggles local nonprofit organizations are facing in the pandemic. This week, he goes over to the other side of the table and speaks with two representatives from Tompkins Financial Corporation to find out how nonprofits can gain more funding by strengthening their sponsorship benefits. When the COVID-19 pandemic started back in March, the nation entered a massive recession. On a local level, Nonprofit organizations have seen their sources of revenue depleting, and in some cases, disappearing completely. Ithaca, New York, is home to an abundant amount of community nonprofits that all add their own distinct qualities to the city's robust atmosphere. Their chances of surviving may seem slimmer than ever, but now, this might not be the case. I've spoken to Ben Sandberg, the director of Tompkins County Center for History and Culture, as well as Ryan Harriet, the executive director of the Women's Opportunity Center, about the capital shortage nonprofit organizations are currently facing in Ithaca. For this third installment, I wanted to dive deeper into the process of how these nonprofits get their funding. More specifically, I wanted to see what they were doing before and see how they could adjust their marketing and financial strategies. This week, I spoke with Abby Peterson, the current VP Marketing Communication Manager at Tompkins Financial. She has been at the company since 2016 and has helped connect local nonprofit organizations find the financial services they need. As an Ithaca College alumni that graduated with a degree in Integrated Marketing Communications back in 2011, Peterson said she has become very familiar with the city of Ithaca. Everything from human services to the arts, um, to education, science, uh, you know, it's really, it's really a diverse mix of, um, of nonprofits, which, you know, which uh, I think is, is uh, something that makes our community really special in that we've got a lot of people working really, really hard <laughs> to make, um, to make it because Tompkins County a really exciting, vibrant um, place to live. Tompkins Financial has provided funding for an abundant amount of Ithaca nonprofits, including the majority of local theater groups such as the Hangar Theater, the Cherry Arts, and Opera Ithaca. They also support the Ithaca Public Education Initiative, as well as community organizations like GIAC and the Southside Community Center. We really do stand with the breadth of the nonprofits that exist here. Going through a corporate sponsor like Tompkins Financial is only one of many ways nonprofit organizations can receive funding. There's the grant route some of which can be received through the state, 
But as we've discovered in the last segment while speaking with Ryan Harriet from the Women's Opportunity Center, it seems that funding at the state and federal levels has been reconsolidated due to the diminishing amount of funds available. Peterson also pointed out the Park and Legacy Foundations, which are a more local outlet for receiving grants, but she believes that going through private corporate donors like Tompkins Financial is an easier process for nonprofits to go through than a grant process. I would say that our, our process, uh, I, I believe, I would hope, is, is significantly easier <laughs> to go through um, than the grant process. Peterson says that she tries to keep the process of receiving funding very personal and focused around the needs of an organization. One thing she looks for in a nonprofit is their sponsorship value, which is measured by the tangible and intangible benefits Tompkins Financial would receive in exchange for capital. We like to understand what their financial position is and what our contribution would be used for, of course. Um, and, you know, just, just sort of understand the breadth of their services. Earlier on in the pandemic, Peterson said they anticipated the needs of nonprofit funding would really skyrocket, but that they didn't initially receive a lot of funding requests from community organizations. I think they were just trying to keep, um, keep the lights on, really, and just get through every day um, just to stay open while meeting, you know, some of the state guidelines and safety precautions. In order to keep afloat, Nonprofits began to rely on emergency funding services like the Paycheck Protection Program and grants coming from New York State. When that pool of money shrunk, nonprofit organizations had to make adjustments to their programming and what they would typically offer to community members. The way that we work with these not for profits is that oftentimes there'll be sponsorship benefits, right? So if we're sponsoring an event, uh, there'll be uh, you know, an opportunity for us to place the logo on promotional materials or, you know, provide uh, literature or, you know, things like that. And so without the in-person events, um, you know, I think it's been really tough for some of these organizations to really provide um, the same sponsorship value that they would have with a, uh, you know, with a live event. So that's, that's certainly been something that uh, we've seen um, organizations really needing to get creative on, uh, on providing sponsor value. I spoke with Katie Shaw, who works under Peterson as a marketing and communications relations specialist at Tompkins Financial. She had just recently entered the position last month and now has begun working closely with Peterson to foster relationships with local nonprofits and facilitate community contributions. Shaw explained that Tompkins Financial has two main pots of money for donations and sponsorships available for nonprofits. The first pot of money directly comes out of our marketing budget. We feel very strongly that supporting the community in various activities is a better way for us to get our name out there and, and market the trust company rather than, you know, spending a bunch of money on TV ads or advertisements. So it actually directly comes out of the, the advertising budget. And then there's a second pot. And that's our corporate gifts. And those are just gifts to truly help the community where there's no recognition or anything like that, although it's it's liked. Um. <laughs> Tompkins Financial uses this marketing and advertising budget to fund these nonprofits in exchange for some sort of exposure that will attract these corporate guests or individual philanthropists. Money grows somewhere, and it's quite interesting to see this approach. 
they are essentially paying these nonprofits to advertise for them. So essentially, if these nonprofits can provide that sufficient sponsorship value that Peterson talked about, Tompkins Financial simply wouldn't be able to keep a stable stream of revenue running. From Peterson's perspective, the organizations that can pivot and adjust their sponsorship value are the ones that will receive the most funding from revenue sources. Ultimately, the biggest change that diminished a lot of nonprofit sponsorship value was seeing in-person events go online. Virtual events, you know, I think <laughs> it'll be interesting to see uh, how, how they progress. Since the initial lockdown back in March, Many organizations have discovered some levels of success with virtual events. In fact, Peterson said that Tompkins Financial has hosted some internal virtual events focusing on financial education that received a huge attendance. We have better attendance than we have ever gotten um, at the in-person event. So um, will that continue or will, will folks you know, sort of uh, start, to, start to feel this <laughs> virtual event fatigue? Um, I don't know. While Peterson believes that nonprofits should try and pivot and adjust their sponsorship value, there's only so much they can do under the strict restrictions set by Tompkins County and New York State. In my estimation, you know, I think Tompkins County has been extremely conservative. Um, I think in in our um, approach to the virus, and I think there are certain you know certain areas across the country that have that have not been so conservative and have some great results. Peterson also sits on the board of the Downtown Ithaca Alliance and has seen firsthand how these nonprofit organizations are financially struggling. She said they have put a lot of time and effort into thinking about the various ways to make in-person experiences safe while also maintaining the culture that Ithacans have come to appreciate in Downtown Ithaca. It's been a challenge, I know, for them to do what they would typically do, which is support our downtown businesses and try to drive traffic downtown, but also make it a safe experience for folks. For now, nonprofit organizations in Ithaca, as well as Central New York, can contact Katie Shaw to see if they are eligible for some funding. They can contact me with their proposal um, for what the funding would be used for and how much they're looking for. And then I usually bring it to the donations team, which includes um, my supervisor, Abby Peterson. We really do look at each donation closely and, and decide where we should be putting funding um, and where it best impacts the community. We really do, we really do try uh, as best we can to, uh, to spread the love, <laughs> as, as you might say. And, um, you know, sometimes that, that results in potentially not being able to fund, you know, organizations at the level that they that they ask for. But even if we're not able to do entirety of, you know, of the ask, we will still work with the organization to try to come to a place where we can at least offer something uh, that will for WICB News, I'm Antonio Fermi. And that's all for this edition of Ethica Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and Subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. 
Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WYCB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WYCB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from manager of television and radio operations Jeremy Menard, WYCB station manager Sam Ives, programming director Lou Barron, and news social media coordinator Gabrielle Topping. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by news director Jay Bradley, with assistance from news managing director Celine Tutar, news production director Himadri Sait, and correspondents Emma Kirsting, Erica Liberati, and Antonio Fermi. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dunder Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback? Story ideas? Just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wycb.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7pm next Sunday. I'm Vedant Akari, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.